Last week, when presenting our capital campaign and talking through the opportunity that is on the plate right now for us as a church regarding our home and future, we use Numbers chapter 13 to formulate somewhat of a launching pad where Moses was commanded by God to send 12 spies over from Kadesh into Canaan land to view the land. And we use that to formulate a thought about where I believe God was going to take us. So to, uh, to hook up from where we left last week, I want to launch a series today called Uncharted. And I want to talk about going where we have never been. Talking about uncharted and going where we've never been. And my hope and my prayer is that today, along with the next few weeks, becomes a turning point for us as a church. Somebody talk to me this morning. Right, look, it's okay, the dog's won, all right? So we can all just enjoy ourselves this morning. All the pressure's gone, game one's uh, you know, a wrap. Let's, let's just focus on God right now. Uh, so I want this to be a turning point for us as a church, but not just for us as a church, but for you and I as individuals. May this be a turning point in your life as we step out into the unknown and we embrace the journey into the uncharted. So picking up from Numbers 13, kind of what we established last week in the spies viewing the land, I want you to fast forward 40 years through the wilderness wanderings that the children of Israel experienced, and that lands us in Joshua chapter 1. 40 years has gone by since last week's sermon. Look at Joshua chapter one, verse number one. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people... Shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Ashley and I love going places that we have never been. We try to every month frequent different places, restaurants, eateries, little mom and pop joints. We don't really like to find food chains when we go out on our date night or if we go on vacation. I have an app on my phone called Yelp, and by using this app, Yelp, I'm able to find certain restaurants and certain places to eat based on people's reviews and people's tips of the restaurant. And the app is basically an information center provided to you by people who have already been where you have not yet been. And when her and I had the opportunity a few years ago, somebody actually sent us on a vacation to Brooklyn and Manhattan, New York. 
And when they did, this app came in handy because I was looking for all the New Yorkish places. I wasn't looking for McDonald's. I wasn't looking for Wendy's. I wasn't looking for a hibachi restaurant. I wanted to eat a Brooklyn hot dog. I wanted to eat New York pizza. I wanted to sit up at Del Frisco's like a good fella, kick back in, some, in, in, in a suit and talk like Joe Pesci. I wanted to find a hot dog stand with a vendor. I wanted to sit in a taxi that smelled like a pine tree. I wanted to get on the subway at 3 a.m. with the hoodlums. I wanted, I wanted to do all that New York type stuff. Are you with me? We went down to Cat's Deli, that, that famous place, Cat's Deli. Walked in there, they had salami hanging from the walls. Had 30 guys behind the counter that worked there. Every one of them was named Sal. I mean, it was great. I just was living in that New York moment. And that whole trip was made possible, not just for the people that sent us there because they'd been there before, because I had an app on my phone connected to people who had already provided the tips, already provided reviews, because they had already been to the place that I had not yet visited. And this is the perspective that Joshua has. This is the mindset Joshua has as he prepares to cross over with Israel into the promised land of Canaan. As far as the eye can see, this is what God has given to us as a people. And he has already, think about it now, Numbers 13, he's already visited there once before, 40 years prior. And now he's going back, not to visit, but to live there. In the book of Joshua's Simply this, it's exploring the journey of the children of Israel as a people into the uncharted lands of Canaan, the land that was promised to them by God. And I want you to remember this, it has been 40 years since Moses sent these spies to view the land. And now in response to the spies, you remember this? 10 came back with a negative report and two of the 12 came back with a positive report. And based on the, on the negative report provided by the 10, God deemed it so. The unwillingness to take the land, God decreed for Israel to wander the wilderness for 40 years. In fact, the entire generation of men from the age of 20 and up that left Egyptian bondage, God God said, you're going to die in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb. By the way, the two that came back with a positive report, God said, these are the two that are actually going to inhabit the promises that I spoke over you as a people. So in Joshua chapter one, God's commanding Joshua, lead the people where they've never been. And there's a collective spirit now in the people that is completely different than the divisive spirit that was there 40 years prior. There's a collective spirit concerning God's word and promise. They believe that this is ours for the taking. This opportunity was created by God. We've been set up. The land is ours, and all we got to do is take it. Can you imagine the anticipation, the expectation that has been building within this new generation of people and leaders? And now it is finally their turn. Now it's their turn. Their turn to go where they've never gone before. Their turn to do what they've never done before. Their turn to have what they've never had before. Joshua has been waiting his turn for 40 years. He has kept his sword razor sharp for 40 years. He could never get the picture and the imagery of the grapes out of his mind. He has laid awake at night seeing it come to pass where he would slay the giants that inhabited his territory. He now knows today is the day. Now is the time. It is my turn. And God begins chapter 
chapter one by introducing this idea to Joshua. All right, Joshua, the time is here. It's your turn. And may I say, like Joshua, it is our turn. It is my turn. It is your turn. It is our turn to inhabit the land promised to us by God. And may you trace it and may you connect it to physical land and property and boundary lines and easements and assessments. But I want to say it's more than brick and mortar. It's more than floors and ceilings and walls. It's more than signs and parking lots. God has a land that is promised to you and I. And I just want to go ahead and serve notice on the devil this morning and remind every one of God's people the land is ours for the taking and I didn't plan on coming here and watching somebody else step up in line and get what God has for me somebody holler it's my turn it's your turn it's your turn to walk in the fullness of God for your life it's your turn to come in to, to promise and purpose. It's your turn to discover the very life that God has for you to live. That John 10, 10 abundant life. It's your turn to find Canaan. It's your turn to take over the testimony and the territory. It's your turn. It's your turn to march with me into the uncharted land of promise. And when you're taking your turn, listen to me. When you're taking your turn, into the uncharted. There has to be an understanding. There has to be an appreciation of some values that present themselves in Joshua chapter one. And today I want to look at these three values because these values matter to you going to the uncharted. There is the value of time. Everybody say time. There is the value of time. The verse one says now. Everybody say now. Now. God is bringing Joshua's mind in connection with time. He says, now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. There it is again, now, now. See, it's about time. All of this in the uncharted, taking your turn, it's about time. Time has value. And time has value because it was made by God. God made time, and God gave us time. God created time. God created time, and when God made time, he made time, and he made it with circles. Time is made of circles. If you open the face of a watch, it is circles. It is gears spinning, moving, rotating in a rhythm in time. There's time. God made time. God made time and he made time because he made circles because God is a circle maker. God designs things in circles. God strategizes things in circles. God creates in circles. That's why life cycles move in a circle. That is why life and death moves in the pattern of a circle. That is why water moves in a cycle that is a circle. From precipitation to evaporation to condensation and all over again, God does things. He orchestrates and he designs in circles. That's why the seasons come and go in circles. Summer to fall to winter to spring only to start the whole circle all over again. God does things in circles. That's why all the planets spawn 
spin in an axis on an orbit in a circle. And all the galaxies are made of circles. And even the planets themselves are circles. And the stars is a circle. And the sun is a circle. Because God does things in circles. God is like a circle, ladies and gentlemen. He is like a circle because he has no beginning and he has no ending. And that is why when a man marries a woman, he puts a ring on her finger. A circle signifying a covenant with God, a covenant with each other that has no beginning and has no ending. And may I say, God is a God of circles. And that's why when Ezekiel saw him, he said, I saw a wheel in the middle of a wheel. I saw a God that does not have beginning. I saw a God that does not have ending. You cannot trace his starting point and you'll never find a time when he comes to exist no more. He is a God and he is everlasting. He is immortal. He is eternal. He is forever and ever 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 and ever. And when you run out of breath, he's still going because he's still God. And before time ever began, God was there. He was God in the beginning. He'll be God in the middle. And he'll be God when it's all over and done with. That's why he said, I'm Alpha. I'm Omega. I'm beginning. I'm the end. I'm the first. I'm the last. In the beginning, God. He said, I'm God all by myself. I was God before the stars ever glimmered in their sockets. I was God before the sun ever shone down out of the sky. I was God before the moon lit up the night sky. I was God before the wind blew across the waters. I was God before the lightning clapped its face. I was God before the thunder ever clapped its hands. I was God before the seas divided. I was God before the light broke through. I was God. I'm God all by myself. I'm God without any help. I was God before they wrote a song. I was God before they preached a sermon. I'm God whether you acknowledge me or not. Whether you praise me or not. Whether you worship me or not. I'm God. I'll always be God. Somebody in the room help me praise the God of time I'm God I have no beginning I have no ending and I stepped out of the eternal and I made a parenthetical insert called time and I gave you time I made it and I gave it to you Time is valuable because God made time. And time doesn't last forever. You only have so much of it given to you. So you better see it as valuable. And when you see time as valuable, you respect time. You respect time. Anybody who's ever done anything massively successful respects time. They understand that time is money. That's why you get compensated for 40 hours of a week. What that says is those 40 hours have a monetary value. Successful people understand that time is the most valuable thing that they have. 
Successful people understand that time is more valuable than money. See, you can lose money when the stock markets crash, but you can always make more money later. You can lose a car, but you can buy another one. You can lose friends, but you can make more. You can lose a house in Dorian, but you can build another one. You can lose all kind of commodities and all kind of assets and all kind of resources, but if you lose time, you can't make any more of time. Therefore, time is the most valuable thing you have. That's why successful people are not consistently and constantly late. They value time. They know time is carried and connected to compensation. That's why successful people are early and they stay late. They don't show up late and leave early. Y'all are shouting on that God's a circle thing. And, and you know what? And they won't tolerate people that show up late. They won't tolerate people that leave early because you're trying to minimize something God gave you to maximize. You don't see time as valuable. If you don't respect time, then you are not going to get paid for the time you said you'd commit to. Time is valuable in God's mind. It's the most committed, it's the most valuable thing you have as a commodity. That's why daddies get to the very end of their life and they have set aside retirement. They have got 401k. They have got stocks. They have got a nest egg that they have been roosting upon for their whole life. But they get to the very end of the life and they realize they bought the kids everything. They bought the wife everything. They had all the monetary things and all the physical things, all the touchable, tangible things, but they have regret when they're on their deathbed or in a nursing home. They're, they're, they have regret because they don't have any more time. And then if they could do things over and they could go back and rewire the system and reverse things, they'd go back and they would change how much time they had and they would change what they did with their time because now the money's still there, but they got no time. The house is still there, but they got no time. The garage is gonna keep the car and somebody else is gonna get the title, but they got no more time. And if you respect time, you won't waste time and you won't let somebody else waste your time. In Matthew chapter number 25, when the, master, when the master gave the servants talents, he gave one one, he gave another two, he gave another five. When he gave them talents, he also gave them time. Because the Bible says that he gave them the talents and then he went away, and the Bible says in Matthew 25, he went away for a long time and then he came back and the reward was not just based on what they did with the talent, it was based on what they did with the time. I've been gone all this time and you took the thing I gave you and you squandered it, you hid it, you buried it, you wasted it and the master was wroth, why? Because he wasted his time. You have to respect time if it's valuable. You have to recognize time. You have to recognize time. That's why God told Moses, he said, he said I want you to say to Joshua, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses is dead. Recognize when it's time to turn a page. Moses may have been the thing that got you out of Egypt, and Moses may have been the thing that navigated you through the wilderness, but Moses does not have what it takes to get you into Canaan. Some of your past successes are supposed to be just past successes, but you are going to live in the victories of yesterday as long as you sit around and point at the trophy showcase and talk about what was and what used to be and what should have been and God saying, it's time to turn the page. I don't care about how far Moses brought you. I don't care about your glory days over your shoulder. Right now it's time to turn the page because I'm not looking to Moses. I'm looking to you, Joshua. You recognize time, recognize the end of an era. Recognize that this time period is over. 
Recognize when a season changes. How in the world can you see your time as valuable if you don't recognize the changing of seasons? When you recognize a different season that tells you what to plant, tells you where to plant it, tells you when to plant it. And a lot of people miss their time because they don't recognize the changing of a season. Joshua has waited a long time and now he's recognizing this is my time. This is my turn. You respect time. You recognize time. But you respond in time. He said, now, get up. Right, get up. 40 years is long enough, Joshua. Get up. It's time to take this. It's time to claim this. It's time to journey into the uncharted. You have to respond in time. Let me say this. In many cases, timing is everything with God. Timing is everything with God. God says, now. Now is the time to do it, and let's get it done in time. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. A goal without a date is just a dream. Some of us have been dreaming and dreaming and dreaming and hanging our hat on a future vision. But if you keep dreaming and dreaming and dreaming, the dream you live in next decade is gonna look like the last two because you never put a date on it. You've got an assignment on your life, but you never made an appointment. And if you have an assignment without an appointment, it just becomes another task on your unfinished to-do list. Somebody better talk to me this morning. Asking God for more money, but you don't respect time. Asking God for a promotion, but you don't value time. Asking God to open doors of opportunity, but you've been wasting time. God says, hey, Joshua, guess what matters? Time. It's of the essence right now. This is, this is valuable. Like This is time. And let me say this to you. This is our time. We've been talking about this property for a long time. We've been praying about this property for a long time. But when ink meets paper and paper gets slid across a desk, there is a reason there is a contingency time period. There's a due diligence period. There's an inspection period because some commitments only come to fruition in the window of time. You have to see time as valuable. There's the value of time. There's the value of trajectory. Everybody say trajectory. That's a big word, isn't it? trajectory. Look at verse number two. Look at verse number two. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Look at this. We start getting down to latitude and longitude. Go over this Jordan, this river right here in front of us. Go over this river, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. I write this down. God told me to tell you this. Trajectory is a path progression or development of a line going somewhere is a path progression or development of a line that is going somewhere and God said there's a value in trajectory there's a value in knowing where you're going and in our story, God begins to recalibrate Israel's trajectory, and he recalibrates Joshua for the appropriate trajectory. I wrote this down. Trajectory involves aiming in the right direction. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change where you've been aiming, and I want you to go over this Jordan. Let's look in the right direction. No more pointing aimlessly in the wilderness. No more having no aim. A lot of people go nowhere in life because they're not aiming anywhere. They have no direction. 
They just spend 40 years of their life in the wilderness, wandering, dry, dehydrated, barren wastelands called Christianity. And they're aimless. And he says, no, 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 no. We got to get the right direction. We got to get the right direction. No more looking back at Egypt. No more wandering around. By the way, if you stay in the wilderness forever, you forget about Canaan and you start looking back at Egypt. I've seen a lot of preachers, I've seen a lot of ministering leaders, I've seen a lot of very solid church people who never get into Canaan because they spend so much time wandering aimlessly in their wilderness and they forget the realities of Canaan and those people drift right back into Egypt. And Egypt represents that old life. It represents that carnal life, that selfish life, that sinful life, that slavery life. And if you don't change your direction and you don't start living with some aim, Joshua, you guys are going to end up right back in Egypt that I delivered you from. Trajectory involves direction, but what's this? It involves destination. It involves a destination. He said, go to the land which I do give them. Now, you've been seeing this the whole time. You have the memory of that. You have the memory of Egypt. And here is your current there. There was a time when you were in Egypt and you were saying, if we could just get there. And you got there in the wilderness. You got out of Egypt. But now this here is no longer there. Don't let me lose you right here. People get lost in the wilderness. The here is no longer your there. And God gave them a new there. God said, Let, let's talk about direction this way. Let's talk about destination over there. That is where I want you. And you need a new there. You need a new there. And there is a difference between aiming at what God has for you and what you have for you. There's a difference between aiming at what God has for you and your in-laws have for you. There's a difference between aiming at what you have for you and your employer has for you. There's a difference between aiming at what, you, at what God has for you and what the world has for you. Can we dig a little deeper in this trajectory? Can we dig a little deeper for a second? Did you notice that God did not detail every step of their journey? God was kind of vague, wasn't he? It's kind of vague. We're gonna go over this river and we're gonna get to that land. That's vague. God did not lay out every single left and right turn. God just spoke in general visionary terms. He spoke in terms of now and next. You see that? Go over this river now. We're going to go into that land next. Because now implies direction. Next implies destination. God began to address order because order is important to God. Order is important to God. You gotta cross Jordan before you can ever conquer Jericho. Order matters to God. And in Joshua's case, God only wanted Joshua to know two things, now and next, direction and destination. Now we're leaving the wilderness, next we're going into Canaan. Trajectory is something God orders and you obey. I'm gonna say that again. Trajectory is something God orders and you obey. That's why Psalm chapter 37 verse 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered, everybody say ordered, by the Lord. The steps will never be yours to order. Oh, y'all didn't hear me at nine o'clock. The steps will never be yours to order. 
The steps are yours to obey. It's not up to you to order the steps. All God wants you to know is this direction, that destination. Destiny is chosen by God, but its fulfillment is your responsibility. Destiny is, think in terms of a parent with a child. A parent with a child, when the child is born, as that child is being raised, the parent begins to equate a destiny with that child. I see that child growing up. I see that child going to school. I see that child getting a college education. I see that, that child getting a degree. I see that child playing sports in college. I see that child marrying someone and raising a family. I see that child living in church and serving the Lord in church and loving God and having their kids in church. I see that child living here and doing this with us. And they have this destiny for their child. But at some point along the journey, it becomes the child's responsibility to obey the steps that have been ordered for that child to find its destiny. And so it is with you and I. You and I. God has a destiny in mind for us. When he sees us, he already sees the big picture is complete and done. And so when God looks at you and looks at me, God already sees a Canaan land. He sees the destination is done. But guess what? God is not going to break your arm and hogtie you and throw you into your promised land. It is going to be your responsibility to fulfill what God has put over your life. By the way, you don't have the wisdom to order the right steps in the right order. You don't have the wisdom to do it. Have you, have you ever looked, have you ever looked back at your life over places where you were actually successful, where you got it right? Did you ever look at that? Like where, like where you are now with God. Have you ever stopped and looked over your shoulder and tried to chart the line of trajectory that got you where you are right here? Like, go back and look at the events, the situations, the circumstances. Look at the good decisions and the bad decisions. And, and go back 10 years and put a marker in your hand. And, and, and challenge you 10 years ago, chart the course to get where you are right now. You know what you would have done? You'd have put one dot and drawn a straight line to today. And God never draws trajectory in a straight line. It looks like a wilderness wandering. Over here for a while, over here for a while, good decision over here, good decision over here, bad decision over here. But see, God is so much God, and he's so wise. He knew that sometimes in his sovereignty, it would take ordering steps that didn't make any sense at the time for them to give you the full equation of process. Because once God allows all the charted points of your trajectory, it orders your steps in a way where that's the best way to prepare you, ready you, and equip you to get right here where you are now. That's why you stayed right there for 10 years. You wouldn't have ordered that, but he did. And so when God hands you a marker today and says, let's order trajectory, and you start thinking in terms of a decade, we overplan for one year, we underplan for 10. Think about the stuff. Oh, come on, y'all, think about the bull crap you said in January. You didn't make it 90 days on half that junk, did you? We overplanned for a year. We underplanned for 10. And if God handed you the marker right now today and said, plot out 
trajectory for the uncharted, the best thing you could ever do is hand him back the marker. You plot it, you order it. You order it, my job is not to order it. Because I can't see the beginning from the end. My job is to obey it. And that's why sometimes God may have me step in a Jordan River that's overflowing at its banks and it don't make no sense, but God already knows in his mind what he's going to do before I ever step in the water. Somebody help me give him praise. Your direction is now. Your destination is next. Start thinking in terms of a decade. Somebody said a decade is long term. No, it's not. A decade is what's next. Long term is a legacy. Long term is your children's children. Are you hearing me? Long term, you're not here. That's long term. Long term, listen to me. If it, if it dies with you, it was a lifetime. If it outlives you, that's a legacy. And some of us right now are aiming in a direction where everything's going to die with us. And God said, I need you aiming 10 years out so that I can put you on a course that a hundred, can you imagine there are people in this room that will never have children. And you right now can take the next 10 years and position yourself for the next 50 to outlive you. You can make an impact in this church in such a way that it affects the generations that come after us. Because God sets up trajectory for the long term. It's direction initially, it's destination eventually. Value of time. Value of trajectory. And there's the value of a team. Everybody say team. Look at verse two. <clears throat> they say a cow can't eat a whole bell of hay. And I'm giving y'all a whole bell of hay. So figure out what part you want to eat and start chewing. Because I'm loading y'all up with food for thought. Somebody say amen. amen. Value of time, value of trajectory. And there's a value of a team. And I'll close here. Verse two, he says, Moses, my sermon is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this, cuss word for most of us, people. People. God sees value in the thing you want to stay away from. People. Everybody just say it like that. People. Don't say it like you, like you usually feel it. People. God doesn't see it like that. God wanted Joshua to go over Jordan into the promised land, and he wanted to take all the people and help them possess their territory. And over time, you gotta, you gotta think about this, over time, the last 40 years, Joshua has witnessed Moses master this with people. He has witnessed firsthand the value of collaboration and teamwork. Joshua has seen it happen. People, we just stay together as a team. That's what Joshua has grown accustomed to. But you gotta remember now, it was people that kept this guy out of Canaan 40 years prior. It was 10 idiots that came back with a negative report that kept Joshua from getting what was his at that point in time. So it would have been real easy for the last 40 years. This got a harbor, a root of bitterness against people that would say, you know what, when I finally get my turn, I'm doing it by myself. 
I don't need nobody. I'm going to wait my turn, keep my sword sharp. I'm taking my mountain. I'm taking my acreage. I'm taking my land. Screw these people. I'm doing this for me. Are you hearing me? You want me to be real or not? That's, that's the mindset he could have easily adopted. But instead of letting people keep him out again, Joshua gets on the right page with God, understanding that I must take people with me and I must help them claim their territory and them help me claim mine. Why? Because Joshua understood that God values a team. God values partnerships. God values teamwork. We know this because Jesus valued a team. He spent three years building a team, and for the last 2,000 years, they've been building a church. Don't take so much pride in being a self-made individual. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made lady. Well, that's a shame. That's sad. It's sad to think what you could have done had you had some help. God never equipped you to be successful or survive alone. We need a team. He said, go with all this people. Go with the people. Joshua needed his people and you need yours. Who are your people? Not your Facebook people. Who are your people? Who are the people contributing to you taking your territory? Who are the people you contribute to taking their territory? It takes a team to take territory. I can speak to that by way of past example because Ashley and I did not do this alone. We launched with 15. That was team enough for God. And 15 people God used to do all you've seen a few years later. Because nobody journeys into the uncharted and survives or succeeds alone. Your team is the people who are meant to go with you. Somebody say amen. amen. So who's on my team? That's a question for you to ask, not Pastor Derek. Okay, Pastor Derek, tell No, who's on your team? Who is on your team? Who is on your uncharted team? Every uncharted team has positions. It does. Every team that God Designs has positions. Joshua said, look what it says in verse number 10, Joshua 1. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the host and command the people. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Three levels of personnel positioned on the team. Joshua commanded the officers to go to the people. Watch this, leadership 101. Y'all ready? Leadership package for free. Here we go. Watch this. Joshua commanded the officers to go to the people. Shows us three different positions on your uncharted team. I need three men. Uh, Kevin, come on. Kyle, come on. Mason, come on. Come on. Come on up here. Come on, come on. All right, stay right here. Mason, get over here. No, no, your name, your name is Kyle. Mason, get over here. Remind me, next time I do this at 11, to call up three ladies, please. <laughs> Uncharted teams have three positions. There are the people that are before you. These are the people that lead you. Every uncharted team has this. The people before you. These are the people 
that lead you. These are the people that motivate you, inspire you. It may be a small group leader. It may be one of your pastors. It, it may be an employer. It may be an authority or a spiritual authority. It is some leadership figure that is before you. These are the people that lead the way. And God helps your vision come true when you get behind these people and help their vision come true. Because you begin to go into uncharted territory because you're following somebody who believes we can get there. Every uncharted team has a position of someone before you. Those are the people that lead you. Then you have the people, Kevin, that are beside you. These are not the people you go to counseling for. These are not the people that have been where you haven't been. These are the people on your level. They are the people that are leaning with you. These are the people that support you and you support them. You pray with these people. You hang out with these people. You talk with these people. You eat with these people. You understand what I'm saying? You hang out with these people. They are, they, listen to me, you will, you will run yourself amok trying to get spiritual advice from somebody living on your level. They can't advise you about levels they've never lived at. You can't ask them about Canaan when they've never tasted grapes. These are the people beside you, and they are the ones leaning with you. The people before you are leading you. Then you have the people behind you. And these are the people that are looking at you. These are the people that are learning from you. And they follow you. Because they do not have the capacity, the maturity, or the understanding for you to lean on. Parents have to learn. Leaders have to learn. We don't bleed on the people we lead. Are you hearing me? When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he began to sweat great drops of blood, what'd he do? He went and did it alone. You don't bleed on the people you lead. You don't bleed on the kids you lead. That's why you close the door and get with Jesus in the midnight hour and you take your burden to the Lord and cast it upon him and let him sustain you. And then you walk out of the prayer closet, you wipe your eyes, you go on the hallway and you tell him it's gonna be all right, God's got this. Cause they're looking at you and they're learning from you. Every team has positions. People before you, they lead you. People beside you, you lean with them. And the people behind you, they are looking at you. Every team has positions. Thank you, guys. Every team has provisions. Everybody say provisions. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Every team has provisions. He said, prepare you victuals. I read that word years ago. I said, what the heck is that? Victuals. Find your resources. Get your rations together. Get your provision. He said, gather what you need for within three days you shall pass over this Jordan. God told me to tell you this. God told the people, each of them, to bring something to the table that would be enough to get them across. Every team member has something to bring to the table that plays a role in taking the land. Oh, y'all just went out on me. Every team member has something to bring to the table that plays a role in taking the land. Why? Because when you're on a team, you don't pay for things alone. When you're on a team, you don't fight giants alone. When you're on a team, you don't take the land alone. When you're on a team, you don't build it alone. We have to start playing like we are on a team and each of us has a provision. Your provision matters to the team and it matters to the territory. Imagine if everyone on the team brought something to the table. Those slides I showed y'all a while ago, that's not as monumental as you think. 
That's not as crazy. If every person on the team brought a sacrifice to the table, we walk over Jordan in 90 days. It's realistic. And I showed you with a fraction of the numbers that we actually have. If, imagine if everybody on the team brought something to the, you're not set, if you have the mindset of, I'm hoping they deliver. No, 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 I hope you deliver. I hope you can find out what God has for you. Don't be looking at somebody else because God's looking at your seat at the table wanting to know what you're going to bring to the table. I'll, say, I'll, I'll quit here. Every uncharted team, every uncharted team has a promise. Y'all want to read it with me? Look at verse number five. Look what God told Joshua. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, and I will not forsake thee. He said, nobody is going to stop you or stand in your way. It mattered who was on Joshua's team. But above anybody else, God said, I want you to know, Joshua, I'm on your team. As I was with Moses, you know what that means? Whatever I did for Moses and how I did it for Moses, I'm going to do it for you. I delivered from Moses when I brought them out of Egyptian bondage with the blood of a lamb. I divided from Moses when I split the Red Sea in half. I directed from Moses when I was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I dwelt with Moses for 40 years in the stupid wilderness wanderings. I never failed him. I never forsook him. I stayed with him through it all. And God gave me a word while I was wrapping this sermon up last night. He tapped me on the shoulder and said, Derek, like I was with Joshua. I'm going to be with you. Like I was with them, I'm going to be with new grace. And I just want to report to you this morning, we have a God who is on our team. It doesn't matter who comes to this church, and it doesn't matter who leaves this church. As long as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of new grace, ladies and gentlemen, may I report to you, we got the right person on our team. He will not fail. He will not drop the ball. He will not make a mistake. He will not misfire. He will not leave us behind. He will not leave us aloud. He will not leave us alone. God is going to stick with us. And may I report to you, if you and I are now the new temple, of the Holy Spirit of God and he dwells inside of us that means everywhere that I go God is going to go with me that means there's no land I will see where I won't see it with him he says any grape you taste I'll taste it with you any giant you face I'll face it with you any battle you fight I'll fight it with you any land you take I'll take it with you anywhere you want to go I'll go with you I'll help you take what I promised you. Somebody help me praise him. If you know God said, I'll stick with you. Know the value of your team. Know the value of trajectory. Know the value of time. Because it will matter to where you and I are going. How you doing on time? Are you, are you thinking and praying the same thing I'm thinking? I can't let 40 catch me in the same place where it caught me when I was 30. You think like that? I used to plan a year out. 
And I realized I wasn't getting, I wasn't, I wasn't getting anything done in a year because I, overpl- I overplanned. And I never even thought about 10 years out. I didn't think about my kids in college. I didn't think about my kids having cars. Braces backslapped me. And I'm one of four. I got one of four down right now. I got three more. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't looking at it. I saw this building coming, but there was so much, so many options, so many possibilities. We never knew how to prepare for it. And now I'm thinking in terms of, what if I'm gone? What if I die? What if cancer comes back? What if something happens to me? Pastor Jeff has become an amazing executive pastor. And God has broadened his leadership shoulders. And I'm not saying this because he's in the room. He'd rather not be in the room, but I'm preaching to you, so I'm acting like he ain't even here. And sometimes he'll say, we got this and we got this. What do you want to do? And I'll say, what happens if I die tomorrow? He's like, I hope you don't die tomorrow. And I said, no, no, let's make this decision like I don't exist. What would you do? If you're in here and you're an employer, you're in here and you're a ministry leader, sometimes you have to delegate by empowerment of opinion. Even if you think they're wrong, let them do it. Jesus sent 70 into a town knowing they wouldn't be able to cast out that one kind out of that one kid. Sometimes you let them. You've got to understand God gave you a team of people, and you've always got somebody before you. You've always got somebody beside you. You've always got somebody behind you when you go where you've never been. Where are you aiming? Let me tell you that. Where are you aiming? Like when you leave this room today, what's going to get your attention? A television set? That's fine, but not six hours. Not six hours. You could do so much more with your time. I used, to, I used to try to just have so much fun. I did. I just, I just would get three points, a couple of good illustrations, and come up here and depend on my dynamics and charisma and slide a deadpan humor to get the job done and lean on God. And God started slapping me around a few years ago and said, do you have any idea what you would do? do and what you could be as a preacher if you would just pour yourself into the sermon and pour the sermon back into you and just absorb it like a sponge and know it like the back of your hand and go up there with more sail for me to send my wind into? And I just started saying no to more fun. Don't get me wrong. I go have fun. But I got to be in sponge mode all week. My time is valuable. My time with my wife is valuable. My time with my kids is valuable. That's why sometimes when you call me, if you get my cell phone number somehow, and you call me, I might not answer, and I might call, not call you back. I actually started setting, I'm just pastoring. Y'all want me to pastor for a second? We gotta go, I'm just pastoring. But I, I started talking to stuff about this. I started teaching this to other pastors. I sat down with a pastor of a much larger church the other week. He is going and going and going. He's lost all his hair too. And he's like, man, I'm just being spread so thin. I'm at every hospital visit. I'm at everybody's house. We, and we got 1,300 people. And I said, you got to start learning the power of the word no. Yes. Amen. 
And don't answer your phone. Don't get up from the table when you're sitting there with your kids and run off every time the phone's ring. My phone will ring and the kids are like, your phone's ringing. I'm like, let it go. Let it go. I can't raise the dead. Let it go. I, I'm, I'm a better daddy than I'm a pastor and I'll be more, I'll be, I'm proud of that. I'm a better husband than I'm a pastor. I'll let preaching and pastoring take third place. I want to be a better husband and a better daddy than I am any of that stuff. And I ain't their pastor. I'm their daddy. You understand what I'm saying? That's free. That's just, that's my counseling session. That's me talking to you. Thank you for pulling up a chair and let me recline and talk. You got to figure out what you're going to do with your time. You got to fix your trajectory and you got to start cherishing what's on your team. Because you got, you, got little, little, you got little size five shoes walking behind you. And they've never been there. And they're following you. And they're going to die in the wilderness if you don't go to Canaan. Yes, 